Amen. <clears throat> All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've now come to the next major section. It's really the biggest section of the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, as Paul deals with the issue of spiritual gifts, these capacities that he gives to each of us to help us to be useful to each other and to fit together within the body of Christ. It's a... Well, in the middle of chapters 12 and 14 is chapter 13 that talks about love. Love is what holds us all together in the midst of a discussion on gifts. Spiritual gifts is, can be a controversial subject. Some people shy away from it because there's been so much division within the body concerning it, so much misunderstanding of it, overemphasis of certain aspects, but... I think when we get this whole section, these three chapters together, we'll come to an understanding that will help us each, hopefully, to understand a little bit more who we are, what God has made us, and how we fit in with that which he wants us to do. So beginning with verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, the idea is there must be a lot of ignorance or he wouldn't be saying, look, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, it's kind of funny because they also had all kinds of spiritual gifts. Over in the first chapter, Paul said, you guys don't lack behind in any spiritual gift. You have all the gifts, and yet still within your application of those gifts, there's an ignorance, the the Greek word there for ignorant is the word from which we get the word agnostic. You just don't get it. And for so many people still today, ironically, this is one of the things where the Lord tells us in his word, I don't want you to be ignorant. And yet for so many of us, there's still a vast amount of ignorance when it comes to the area of spiritual things and spiritual gifts, capacities that God has given us. And so it's nice when he leads off with that. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be ignorant because what that tells us is there are some things that I'm going to teach you that are going to be helpful to you. There are some things that are going to help the light to, to click on for you as we discuss this important and vital area. And so that's how he begins. And now he goes back to their background as pagans and he says, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. He's contrasting their life, their way of life before they became Christians, and letting them know, I have something better for you now. Now, the way they were back then, they had all sorts of spiritual input. In Corinth there, they were, they were rich and deep in religious traditions, with various pagan cults and, and all sorts of the, the Babylonian mystery religions all wrapped up together. You'd walk down the streets of Corinth and there were temples everywhere, each of them with a little different you know, twist on things. And the people in Corinth were pretty satisfied to get a little of this and a little of that, thinking that, well, if I 
sample a little of every religious tradition, ultimately the culmination of that will be, I will be a very deep person spiritually. There are many people today who have this attitude. They say, oh, you know, I think all religions have something to offer, and so I like to sample a little piece of this one and a little piece of that one and put it all together. And sometimes people will say things like, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual. That means I'm just looking for any kind of mystical experience, any kind of uh, sense of awe, any kinds of grasping at things that seem too vast for me to understand, and I'll settle for that. The one thing today that people don't want is for someone to really know, for someone to really have the answers, because nowadays the worst thing in the world is someone who is intolerant, someone who thinks that they have it together, because that becomes a threat to people who think they have it together, but in a different way. There's a question, either there is an absolute truth or there isn't absolute truth. And this diversity that comes from accepting all religious traditions and experiences as being equal is something that leads ultimately to a pooling of ignorance. And that's where the Corinthians were. No one wanted to judge anyone as being wrong. And as a result, they just had all this noise in their, in their pagan religions, they had mystical experiences of psychics and fortune tellers and astrologers. They had people who would speak in ostensibly heavenly languages and just be babbling. They had people who were claiming to do all sorts of miracles. You, they ran the gamut of every spiritual experience. And then they presented it all and goes, look, some of this has to be right. But what Paul is saying, when you were there, you really didn't know the truth. When you were there, all of your idols, all of the things that you devoted yourself to, none of them really were able to speak with authority and clarity. You never knew what you believed. You never knew what was right and what was wrong. And the implication is, what God has for you is different than that. It's not just a pooling of a bunch of stuff together and you just never know. It's a God who wants to speak clearly and succinctly and distinctly in a way that it's very clear what the truth is. And so he said, when it comes to this area of spiritual gifts, God wants to speak to you so that you won't be ignorant, and so that you won't be, as you were before, just taking in everything and figuring that it's all going to pan out in the end. He says, no, don't be carried away and be led. The idea, too, is that before, you would follow anyone. So whatever new came up, there you were, heading right after it like a lamb to the slaughter. God wants to lead us personally and from within by his spirit. He doesn't want you and me to be susceptible to just following after whatever is the latest fad, whatever it is that someone wants to lead us to. And then he says, verse 3, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he says, now, 
what he isn't saying here is that if someone says the words, Jesus is anathema, Jesus is accursed, that by those very words, they automatically aren't a Christian. Because if that was the case, then I just lost my salvation. Because I said those words. Anyone who reads the Bible says it. He's also not saying that just because someone says the words, Jesus is Lord, they're automatically okay. The point that he's making here is that you need to look at the fruit of what's going on in someone's life in order to evaluate their substance and see who they really are. Ultimately, though, as he says here, the key is, who is Jesus? If you're right about Jesus, then you check out. If you start to be wrong about Jesus, you'll start to be wrong about all sorts of other things as well. So he would say, take a look at the Christology. Take a look at whether, is Jesus really God? Is he really the Lord? Or is he someone that we would curse? Now over in 1 John chapter 4, John says something kind of similar. 1 John chapter 4, as he's talking about false prophets and things like that. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So John says, find out what someone says about Jesus. And if they say that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, that he has come in the flesh, well, you're on the right track. The idea there is that he has come, that is, he was somewhere else, he is God, and he's revealed himself in human flesh, he became a man. If someone denies that, John says, they're the Antichrist, they're, they have a spirit of Antichrist. Anti means instead of, sometimes against, but generally instead of. So what he's saying is, if you come up with a Jesus that isn't Jesus Christ, and who hasn't come in the flesh, then that's another Jesus. That's someone instead of Jesus. And so again, back here in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, start with who Jesus is. And that will eliminate an awful lot of the baloney that's out there. Because if you're right about Jesus, you're not going to go too far off on anything else. But as soon as you begin to deviate from the orthodox position of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, then you're starting to get yourself into dangerous territory. So when it comes to looking at spiritual phenomenon, we always need to ask that question, who is Jesus? And let's see how close you are. Every cult and every weird group that pops up will always ultimately err when it comes to who Jesus is. And Beyond that, they'll start to have all sorts of problems. So Paul says, check it out in terms of who Jesus is. And, and also, the idea here is what's flowing forth from what you're doing? What's the result? Who gets the glory? 
what's happening as a result of what's going on. And if you evaluate the fruit, you'll have some good assessment about the tree from which the fruit came. Now, he goes on beginning with verse 4. And he says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Notice in verses 4, 5, and 6, there are these three couplets, two things that are held together by one thing. In verse 4, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. In verse 5, different ministries, but the same Lord. And verse 6, there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So you have three things. You have gifts, you have ministries, and you have activities in verses 4, 5, and 6. And you have three individuals that hold them together, the Spirit, the Lord, or Jesus Christ, and God in verse 6. And here you see the Trinity working in operation in our lives, in who we are and in what we are to do. If you don't understand the Trinity, join the club. But if you don't believe in the Trinity, you can't join the club. <laughs> See, because the nature of God as being three persons in one God is something that's taught throughout the Scriptures. And we will not begin to understand God until we understand that within God, there's a fellowship of three gods in one. They compose one God, but they are not just changing hats. They are not each a part of God. They are all completely God. They all work together in everything that God does. And yet, God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. And they all completely work together ever since the beginning of creation. When God said, let us make man in our image. The activity that was within the fellowship of the Godhead was there. Again, we don't have anything completely to connect with that, and so it's difficult for us to understand that. But wherever God is working, the Trinity is involved. As these three entities, all completely God, all made of the same material, are all working together to do what God does. And so here Paul says, in understanding the church... And in understanding your own spiritual gifts and what you are called to do and how you are to do that, you will begin to see a, a synchronicity. You'll begin to see a cooperation within your own lives and as you get along with each other that you will start to discover this mystical union that's there in the Godhead that seems contradictory and yet, in actuality, when you get down to it, as you receive this from him and you begin to see God operate in your lives, it'll start to make sense to you on a certain level because you will be connecting to the very God who made you and who leads and guides us. But in the middle of all three of these verses is the idea of diversity. And at the same time, in the middle of all three of them is the idea of unity. Because again diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. Differences are things that tend to divide us. See, for me, it's easiest to understand someone who is like me. Someone who's very similar to me, I connect with them instantly. We have so much that we can share. And so I have a tendency to be drawn to people who are similar to me. People who are different than me, I have a hard time understanding them. Don't know what makes them tick. They're so unpredictable, you don't know what's going to offend them. You don't know what's going to make them funny and what's going to make them mad. You know, it's, it's hard to take people who are different and bring them together. But that is at the center of what the church is about and what God wants to do within us because he has created us as different people. But there's a unity that he wants to demonstrate as we get together that will be a close picture of who God is in his totality. So there's this unity and diversity, and we're going to see that throughout the next several weeks as we go through these chapters, that God says, I make people different, and I bring them together in order to demonstrate a reality that's really glorious, that gets as close as it can get to depicting who I am. Those diversities that we sometimes curse are things that God has given us to really bless us. There are people today who, for the sake of economy, for the sake of simplicity, out of, in the interest of cooperation, they, they think that what we need to do with churches is get everyone together who is alike. And let's find a, find a demographic to which we can connect. Let's get a lot of people who are very similar in their tastes and in their gifts and in their appreciations, and let's bring them together. Because it, it is very frustrating sometimes to have a church that caters to everyone, especially when you look on church as a place where you go and get everything you want, as you would go to a restaurant. Well, not everyone likes everything in every restaurant. And so the thinking is, maybe for church, we just need to group people together who are similar. But see, the thing is, what God wants to do in us, as we'll see in this chapter, is so much more important than that, that for us to just group with people like us, we will only reflect a small part of who God is. He wants to gather us all together and amaze people that we can get along together. Now, again, it's understandable. There are people who have different preferences. And so with many churches, they'll say, let's have a traditional service and let's have a contemporary service. And then one step beyond that is, you know what? Look, we are a youth church. We are a rock and roll church. That's what we are going to do. And really, if you're a little older and you don't like that, we don't really want you. There are other churches for old people that you can go to. We're young and hip. And so that's what many churches try to do, and it's a very successful formula. Other churches who go, look, we're a church for old people. If you're young, if you have kids, we just don't want you. 
we've paid our dues in life, and we want a church where we can just sit here and be comfortable and sing hymns. And where in the world is that organ you guys used to have? Come on. (laughs) There are other churches who are, oh, we're a family church. So if you're not married with kids, you don't fit here. We're trying to be the family, focus on the family church. And so you guys who don't have kids yet, sorry. You people who are single, you probably need a single church, really. Wouldn't that be nice? And, and you people who are old, get your own little old codger church. And <laughs> That's the way of the world. But what, what God wants to do in the church is to say, no, I need all of you. There is a place for that youth and enthusiasm. There's a place for that person who's struggling, trying to hold their family together, frantically trying to figure out, oh, you know, what, what's going on in life and how are we going to get through this phase of our life? And then for those people who are kind of tired and worn out, and he goes, yeah, there's something for you to do here too. There's something for you to offer. And if we exclude any of those categories, now our church isn't reflecting who God wants us to be. I love the makeup of our church. And people ask me sometimes about our church and go, well, what are the demographics of your church? And I go, well, you know, we live in an area where we have a lot of young families. So we have lots of kids, babies being born all the time. They go, oh, oh, a young church. Yeah, you know, and then there's some older people who come whose kids have kids in the church. And then there's some really old people who, because we have a retirement community right down the street from us, all around us, we have a lot of those too. And they're like, what? you got to be kidding. I go, yeah, the, the coolest thing to me is when I walk out the door of church after the service, I see strollers crashing into walkers. And I'm like, <laughs> like, this is so cool. This is the way it's supposed to be. Young families can find older people to fellowship with. Older people can see younger people and go, yeah, I remembered when they thought about me what I think of them. I get this. And ultimately, the picture is developed that paints this glorious reality of what the body of Christ is all about. But that's a lot of trouble because it means we have to be tolerant of differences. It means we have to work at getting along and being together. It it means that ultimately, it's never going to be exactly what one of us wants. But it's all about being a family and coming together. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And so, as Paul here talks about the diversity within the body and the unity that comes toward that, it's our clue as to what we all need to be to fit in with what God wants us to do. Now, notice, as in verses 4, 5, and 6, You have gifts, you have ministries, and you have activities. Gifts is kind of who you are. Ministry is what you're called to do, and activities is how you do what you are called to do. And first of all, we'll look at gifts. Gifts are supernatural capacities that God builds within each of us. He places them in us. Some of them may be involved with some of the gifts that we have naturally received from God. But as we become Christians, God infuses within us a spiritual power to be able to have certain things that we do that really distinguishes us 
from others. And there are lots of gifts. There are lots of ways in which God manifests our uniqueness. And many of us aren't always clear as to what our gifts are. That's where we start. It's the understanding and acceptance of the fact that God says, if you're my child, you are gifted. Now, we talk about people being gifted, and usually what we mean by that is they're good at taking tests. But God has a lot more areas of giftedness than just that. And he says that every one of us has a unique ability or capacity to do certain things. For us to discover that is the first step in us learning how we fit within the body of Christ. Now, here in 1 Corinthians, there are lists of some of the spiritual gifts. And for instance, in next week, we will see he gives, beginning with verse 8, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge. In verse 9, the gift of faith. In verse 9 also, the gifts of healing. In verse 10, the gifts of the working of miracles. Verse 10, gift of prophecy. The gift of discerning of spirits. Different kinds of tongues. The interpretation of tongues. And then skip down later in the chapter, he gives another list. Verse 28, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, gift of helps, gift of administration, varieties of tongues. Now over in Romans chapter 12, turn back over there, we have another list of spiritual gifts with some overlap with some of these. But in Romans 12, beginning with verse 6, he says that we have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And he talks about the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith, the gift of ministry, the gift of teaching in verse 7. In verse 8, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leading, the gift of showing mercy, Now over in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm really making you skip around a lot. I know most of you probably quit by now and are just listening, but hopefully you're listening. Ephesians chapter 4, as he gives another list of gifts here, beginning with verse 11, he he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, there is some overlap among these three gifts, but each list is distinct. Each gift is a each list is a little mixture of some ministries and some gifts. But you get the idea here that it's really true what he says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. Now, to make things even more complicated, so that you don't just make a list from each of these three passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. Since those those lists aren't identical, I'd like to toss out there that there's a good chance that there are other gifts that aren't listed in any of these lists. And there are some gifts that are kind of combinations of some of these all put together. Now, we'll spend a little time looking at some of these gifts next week, but I'm not going to go into an in-depth discussion 
of what all these gifts actually are. And I'm sure you'll be disappointed at that. But in reality, the Bible doesn't define most of these gifts. It just states them. There they are. And so for us, a central concern must not be, oh no, exactly what is, what's the difference between the gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge? I'd suggest maybe it isn't that important. The important thing to understand is God has made us all different. And we all have gifts that have come from God. <clears throat> and each of these gifts distinguishes us in some way, gives us a unique place of value within the body. Now, many of these gifts are things that we are all commanded to do. We saw the gift of giving, the gift of helps, the gift of faith. Well, we're all to do all those things. But there are some people who have a strong and unique capacity in some of these areas that we would say they are really gifted in this area. And so here, <coughs> again, differences, diversities of gifts, but it's all the same Holy Spirit who has gifted us, so we're all equal because we just got what he gave us. And they all need to work together because it's the Holy Spirit working inside us that puts us in the places where he wants us to be. So differences of gifts, and as we go through this passage more, we'll talk about some of the gifts that are there. But at this point, the point to understand is, believe me, we are all individuals, we're all unique, and we are all gifted. Maybe you haven't discovered what your gifts are, but God will help you along those lines. First, you need to believe that you are. Many people have so suppressed their gifts, either because other people made them feel like they're not worth anything, maybe they tried to utilize their gifts and got shot down, Maybe they just tried to use a gift that they didn't have, and as a result, they shut down to all the gifts that they might have. Maybe <coughs> for some other reason, you've gotten burned out or whatever and just decided, I don't have anything to offer. But we're going to see how important it is that every member of the body understands you do have gifts that God wants to use. Then in verse 5, ministries. There are different ministries. A ministry is a job within the body, a calling. That is your unique place whereby you fit in with that which God wants to do in the body. That means each of us individually has a place to fill, a part within the body. And again, they're very different. It's not just a couple of jobs and then we're all done. But God has a place for you in which you are to utilize the gifts that he has given you within the body of Christ to minister to others and to fit in with others. And then, as he says in verse 6, there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God. Thanks. Activities are the little things that you do within your ministry as you utilize your gifts. And so, for instance... If I have a gift of teaching, that's a part of who I am. A part of my ministry within the body is to utilize that gift in getting up here and sharing with you the Word of God. And so that's kind of my ministry that goes along with my gift. 
But then exactly how I do it and what I teach and what pace I go through and how I conduct myself in communicating with you, that's something that's an activity. That's a part of what I do. Sorry. And for each of us, for every one of us, as we discover, first of all, what our uniqueness is, what our gifts are, then we find a place where that fits in within the body. And then what flows out from that is what we do on a daily basis in conjunction with that. Now, a way to frustrate yourself is to try to do activities that aren't really a part of what you're called to do because they don't go along with the gifts that you have. And so you can become frustrated because someone twisted your arm to get you to do an activity, but you really haven't felt that call of God to be involved in that activity because you don't really have that ministry or that gift that goes along with it. But at the same time, different people can do the same activities utilizing different gifts and a little different ministries within. A great example of this is when we do the Mexico outreach down in Pedregales. We have a whole lot of people go down there. Now, some people, their thing is to acquire gifts and prepare them for the kids. I talked to somebody this week who said that she's going to celebrate Christmas all throughout the year, and she's going out every couple weeks or every month. She said at least every month, and she may try to do it every week, where she's going to go buy one present for Mexico for next year and keep these presents in her house to remind her of, of Christmas and its significance. And it's like, you know, wow, that's really cool. But for some people, they can find their giftedness in that. But once we go down to give out the gifts, there are some guys who just like to help. And so they're perfect for handing the gifts down and stacking them. And other people have gifts of organization who structure the way we're going to give them out. Other people have gifts of compassion and mercy where they're personally ministering to the kids. Other people have gifts of really being focused and firm, and, and they can work security and help channel traffic and things like that. Ultimately, we're all doing the same ministry, but we're all bringing different gifts to it, and therefore the activities within the ministry are dictated by the uniqueness that God has given us. By the way, speaking of Pedregalis, I heard such a cool thing. One of the ladies down there at Calvary Pedregalis who teaches Sunday school said she was talking to the children in her Sunday school class, and she was trying to make the illustration that, you know, how easily we forget things that are a big deal to us, like our presence. And she said, she said to the class, she said, for instance, how many of you can remember what you got for Christmas last year? And she said, all of their hands raised up. And they all began to, well, I got this and this and this. And she said it, it occurred to her, yeah, because each of them only gets that one gift for Christmas. And so a year from now, they still remember. Well, for us, I can't remember what I put in the presents that I took down there. But at the same time, knowing that I'm a part of that is awesome. So as we each use our gifts to find a place within the body to plug in, and then as we carry out the activities that fit in with that, then we see this great synergy that happens as we fit together different people, but the same God 
working within all of us. And that's ultimately what we are going to see as we go through this passage in 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts. He wraps it up by saying, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So God has gifted each of us individually, and he gives us an opportunity to benefit each other and to fit in. And it's my prayer as we go through this passage of Scripture that God will impress upon each of our hearts the differences of the gifts that he has given us, the fact that we all have something to offer, and that he will open our eyes more and more to ministry ways in which we can cooperate ways in which we can work together to bring glory to God. And then the particular activities, that just flows forth from it. But with all of that, it's the same God, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father, who when we do what we are called to do, people can see God in his glory. They will understand. They'll be amazed. Wow, you guys are so different. And yet you seem to be all on the same page. That's what God wants people to see. That's the testimony that his church is supposed to be. And that's what each of us gets to be a part of when we find out what our place is. And that's where he's headed in this passage. And so I pray that during these next few weeks as we go through these, these chapters that each of us will be looking for our place hearing from God, things so that we're not ignorant anymore, but we go, I'm starting to see how I fit in. It takes time, but to begin to see what our role is within the body, it's, if we don't do that, people will never see God the way they're supposed to see God, the way they need to see God. But when we do what God has called us to do, we begin to see this beautiful picture develop, and, and that's what he's heading for here in 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are that we have your word, your assurance that we are gifted. Many times we don't feel so gifted. And sometimes people around us don't see our giftedness. But you do, Lord. And I thank you for that. And Lord, there's a lot of ministry and a lot of activity within the church. I pray that you will help each of us to know what our ministry is and what it isn't and that we would perform the activities of our ministry in a way that utilizes our gifts and brings glory to you and allows people to see your diversity and your unity. So God, help us as we go through these passages, as we look through your word, to find out where we fit so that we as a church can be what you've called us to be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.